Amen. How are we doing, church? We're doing all right today? Ready to roll? Good, good, good. We're in James chapter 5. Grab your Bibles. Meet me there. We are continuing. We've only got two weeks left in the book of James. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. And today, we're talking about patience. Patience, patience, patience. Yeah, I already hear the groans, right? I hate patience. Let's get on the same page for a minute. You are looking at a guy this morning who is not good at all with the idea of patience. Listen, if my wife was the kind of person right now that responded during a sermon, she'd be shouting amen so loud, you wouldn't even know what to do, right? Of all my many faults, church, this has to be one of the worst. For instance, when I go to Kroger, I don't know if this is you, but when I go to Kroger, I'm the kind of guy who when I'm pulling around turn four and I'm coming to check out in the grocery store, I'm sizing up all the lines. Anybody else do that? You're checking to see what's going on. You're looking at who has the most groceries in their cart. You're saying, who's the most likely person to chit-chat with the grocery clerk? You're asking the question of which ones seem to be the most motivated to get through the line. And all of a sudden, I'll pull into a certain spot and it won't stop right there. You see, my impatience doesn't pause at that moment when I enter line because what I start to do is I start to look left and right and say, who is entering into the line at the exact same time as me? And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if one of those people gets through the line before me, it ruins my entire day. All right? That's just what we're working with here. Anybody in that kind of boat, you're just an impatient person. Anybody? So six of us. We got some work to do today. All right? Here's the deal. I'm impatient, and don't get even get me started on traffic. We don't have time to get into that, but here's it is. I feel like this idea of impatience is not totally my fault, okay? I feel like we live in a culture today that just seems to breed impatience. For instance, y'all got this thing called Amazon Prime? A lot of people got Amazon Prime. Why? Because they want delivery in two days. If you log on the internet and it says delivery, eight to ten days, guess what? I'm not ordering it. It ain't getting here fast enough. You think about high-speed internet. Back in the day when I was in middle school, I used to sit down at my parents' computer in my mom's office And you know what sound I heard in order to log on to AIM? Kids, if you don't know what AIM is, ask your parents later, right? It's it's a little text message system or whatnot, right? I used to sit down. You know what I heard? You know what that was? That was the Internet, right? We were trying to log on to the Internet. Today, what happens? You hear that sound, get out of the room, something's about to blow, okay? That's the deal. That's what's going on. You think about the streaming platforms, right? I genuinely wonder how in the world we used to wait an entire week between episodes of our favorite TV shows. Like, if you're like me, if I can't binge watch an entire season in one sitting, I'm not even going to start watching. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, here it is. We're in this thing together. And so here's the deal. We live in an instant gratification culture, a culture that really it breeds impatient. And while it's convenient, and I'll just confess, I love it, right? While that's the reality, what James is going to tell us is this. Patience is absolutely necessary. He's going to say it's necessary if we're going to experience anything of God's goodness in our life. You see, God aims to produce this thing in our life called spiritual fruit. You find that in Galatians chapter 5. But listen, fruit takes time to develop, doesn't it? It takes time to be produced. It doesn't happen overnight. You can't just manufacture fruit. And the same is going to be true, James is going to say, in our spiritual lives. Spiritual fruit, it has to be produced as the Spirit of God works in our lives over a period of time. And one of the fruits that it's going to spit out as we sit in the Spirit is this idea we're talking about today called patience. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read our text together, James chapter 5, looking at verses 7 through 11. And as we read this text, we're going to take a moment when we finish, and we're going to look at three questions, seek to answer three questions today 
about patience. And so let's read it first. James chapter 5, we're going to read the whole thing, picking up in verse 7. It says this. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Like I said, three questions that we're going to seek to answer this morning. Three questions. The first one is this. What is patience? How would you define the word patience? Well, patience, it actually comes from the Greek word makrothumia. Say that with me this morning. Macro. Thumia. Macrothumia. Here's what it means. Macrothumia can literally be translated long-suffering. Write it down. Macro means long. Thumia means suffering. Long-suffering. And so, church, James is not talking here about brief flickers of pain in an otherwise blessed life. He's, talking about a ba- he's not talking about a bad day at work. He's not talking about when you hit your finger with a, with, a, with a hammer and all of a sudden your finger hurts the next week. He's not talking about an illness that lasts for a couple of weeks. Instead, this word that he's going to use through this text, what it's talking about in and of itself, it's implying a long season of suffering, a macrothumia season of suffering. And not only that, but James uses another word as a synonym for patience if you drop down in the text. In verse 11, he's going to use the word steadfast. Steadfast is the Greek word hupomone. Yeah, I got my big board pants on this morning, all right? Hupomone. Hupomone is, is, is the idea is that you're never going to give up, right? It's the idea of you're never going to quit. It's the mindset that says whenever I get knocked down in life, I'm going to get back up. Like the great theologian Chambawamba used to say, I get knocked down, right? And I get up again. You ain't never going to keep me down. Church, that's what James is saying right here. That's the idea behind it. It implies suffering. It implies endurance. It implies waiting. It implies determination of the will. It's getting back up over and over and over again, and you're refusing to quit. And so that's what patience is. That's what James is telling us patience is. Now, here's the second question. Why does James bring up patience in the first place? Like we've gone all the way through this entire letter, and here almost at the very, very close of the letter, he brings up this idea, and he says, you guys, you've got to be patient. Why would he do this? What's the point? Well, let me ask you this. As we've walked through the book of James over the last couple months or so, show of hands, how many of you guys have been convicted over some area in your life? Anybody? Yeah. Me too. Like as I've looked through this book, as I've studied it, as I've preached it over the last couple of months, one of the things that I've realized is that there's a whole bunch of stuff in my life that needs to change. In my entire nature, my nature inside of me, you know what I want to do? I want to get after it immediately. I want to fix the problem right now. But you know what James looks at this and says? He says, be patient. He says, whoa, 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 man. Don't try to just jump right in and try to fix the problems yourself. Be patient. Three times in the first two verses, in verses 7 and 8, we see the word patient. James says, patient. You know why? Because James realizes that ultimately 
God is the one who's going to produce that spiritual fruit in our lives. It reminds us of what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says this, he says, I am confident of this, that he, talking about God, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. That's what James is talking about right here. He's saying, be patient, y'all. Just be patient. God has got this. Listen, when you study the book of James, what you begin to realize is that there are a hundred different areas of your life that need to be fixed. Why? Because you're like me. You're a wretched, black-hearted sinner, whether you knew that walking in the room or not. That's what we are. We're sinners saved by grace. And the gap between us and glory, it's a long way away, isn't it? It's just a long way. A lot longer than we might think. However, instead of getting frantic about it and worrying about it and trying to achieve that in our own power, James says, hey, just take a deep breath for a minute. Breathe in. Breathe out. Relax. Okay, be patient. Because God is at work in you. Church, we've got to remember this. God is ultimately the one who chose us, isn't he? Like we are chosen by him. He's the one that adopted us. He's the one that paid for our sin on the cross, which means you and I can be confident that he who began the good work in us is going to carry it to completion. Amen? He's going to help us finish the work. And so church, be patient. right? Relax a little bit. God's got this. And over time, what's going to happen? Over time, not overnight, but over time, God is going to naturally produce that fruit in your life as you stay close to him. And so first question is, what is patience? Got it. Second question, got it. Why does James talk about patience? Third question, here it is. Why or how do we develop patience? And this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. It's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. The question is, how do we develop patience? Well, we know patience, we just said it a moment ago. We know patience is something that is ultimately produced by the Spirit. But what James is going to do throughout our text this morning, 7 through 11, what he's going to do is he's going to dig a little bit deeper into that conversation. And he's going to answer this question through a couple different illustrations. We're going to see the farmer and the seed. We're going to see the prophets. And then ultimately, we're going to see Job. And so let's take a look once again at the first illustration that he's going to give. He's going to talk about the farmer and he's going to talk about the seed. He says this, be patient, therefore, brothers. Until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. And so point number one this morning, if you're taking notes, you can see it up on the screen, is that as faithful Christians, we are to wait and trust just like the farmer. Wait and trust just like the farmer. Let me ask you a question. What does a farmer do after he plants the seed in the soil? Answer, very little, right? At that point, all he can really do is wait. He's got to wait for the growth, which in most cases is totally out of control. Like, sure, the farmer can go out and throw down some fertilizer. Sure, he can go out and, I don't know, keep the wild animals and the wild birds away. But ultimately, what happens is, after the farmer plants a seed, it's completely up to the seed, the soil, and whatever happens with the weather. And so church, that's what James is looking at us, and that's what he's saying. He's saying, y'all, be like those farmers, right? Patiently endure. Don't give up. Keep working hard. Keep trusting in the Lord, even when you still can't see the crop, you see? He's going to say, ultimately, all the struggle that you go through, all the strain that you're going through, all the stages of the growing season, eventually, they're going to lead to the harvest. 
right? The harvest is going to come, but he's going to say, you got to be patient. You got to wait, okay? And you've got to trust in the Lord's perfect timing. And then in verse 8, James continues, and here's what he says. He says, establish your hearts. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You know what that word establish means right there in verse 8? It means this. It means to become fixed or to become fixated on a specific thing. In other words, James is saying, y'all quit acting like or quit living like only for right now. Like quit thinking just about the here and now. Instead, he's saying become fixed. Become fixed on what? On the coming of the Lord, right? He's saying be fixed on eternity. Focus on forever. Set your hearts on what you know is coming in the future. Church, we've got to lift up our eyes, you see. So many times we want to just see what's on the horizon, but what, this, what James is telling us is we got to see above the horizon. we got to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. James is saying, church, why are you acting like you're going to live here forever? Church, this is our temporary home. Listen, our lives are a mist. Remember last week? Our lives are literally just a, a mist. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And so we've got to quit living and acting like we're going to live in this world forever. Instead, we've got to start living with eternity in mind. That's how we got to live. We've got to know that we have a future home with God forever, a home in the very presence of the Most High God. Where do you know what he promises in Revelation? He promises one day every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Right? He promises there's going to be a place where there's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. Amen? And so James says, look at that. Don't get so focused on the here and now. Look at what you know is coming in the future. Establish your hearts is what he says. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then he keeps going in verse 9. Look what he says. He says, don't grumble either. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't whine. Don't quarrel. Whatever word you want to use there. Don't grumble. Don't do it against anyone. Brothers, you know that, uh, so that you may not be judged. He says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Church, none of us, none of us know the day or the hour when Jesus is going to come back. We don't. Not even Jesus himself. But the reality is, you know what Jesus is doing? Look at the text. Jesus is standing at the door. And you know what he's waiting for? He's waiting for the Father to turn to him and say, hey, go get my kids. And you bring them home. Right? And listen, when we grumble, y'all, when we begin to complain or when we sit there and we just argue about things, what happens is this. We get our eyes off of eternity and we begin to focus on the here and now. That's what happens. Right? We become fixed on our current circumstances. And James is going to step in and say, like, whoa, 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 y'all. Be patient, right? Don't focus on the things that are happening now. Focus on eternity. Focus on the coming of the Lord. And, you know, as I thought about that this week, we complain about some dumb stuff, don't we? Like, let's just be real. I mean, we, we, we do. I do. I do it all the time. I did it this morning. But we do. We come, grumble. We complain about some crazy stuff. Charles Spurgeon, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's this old preacher back in the 1800s, real smart dude, way smarter than I am. And he used to use this illustration that I believe will help us see almost the foolishness, if you will, of our complaining and grumbling and arguing. Here's what he said. He said there was a man, he was essentially a peasant, and he had nothing. He had one little shack, one little house. He had one little mule, this dinky little carriage, and all of a sudden, this peasant, he gets word that he's inherited a mansion from some of his relatives that have passed away. 
He inherited a kingdom with a staff, with protective walls, with endless food, and with a bunch of acreage. And all this guy had to do was leave the place where he lived. He had to pack up his things, everything that he wanted to keep, and he had to travel to this kingdom. And as soon as he walked in the front doors of the kingdom, everything there would ultimately belong to him. Spurgeon says that this is what you and I are guaranteed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? He goes on to say this. This man, the peasant, what he does is he put everything that he had in this one little dinky carriage, and he begins to take this multi-day journey towards the kingdom that he has inherited. Now, here's what I want you to picture. Here's the crux of the whole example. Can you imagine when the peasant finally makes that last turn and the kingdom becomes inside? Just picture yourself. You're coming around turn four, and you just see the kingdom that you've inherited in front of you. And so he can see literally the castle, the walls. He can see the people. He can see all that was in store to him. But then all of a sudden, his dinky little carriage, a wagon wheel, breaks on it. And instead of that man pausing for a second, looking at that, and sprinting toward everything that he had in front of him, the kingdom that was right in front of him, he said he just stood there. What, what would you do if he just stood there and complained and grumbled and argued about the dadgum wheel that just broke on his dinky little carriage? Meanwhile, there's a kingdom awaiting him. Church, here's the point. That's what we sound like in heaven when we grumble and complain. Do you see that? That's what we sound like when there's a kingdom sitting right in front of us and we're so concerned about the here and now. That's what we sound like when we fight. That's what we sound like when we quarrel because we don't get our way. James looks at us and says, lift up your eyes, church. Just lift them up and fix them on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He says, be patient, church. Just wait and trust like the farmer knowing that the harvest is right around the corner, knowing that there is a kingdom in store for you. Don't get fixated on the temporary church. Look at the future glory that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen? So that's the first example. we got a little ways to go. Hang on tight. Second example. He dials in, okay? So he gives a farmer in the seed, and he's going to transition. He's going to say, all right, now let's pay attention to the prophets for a minute. All right? So the second illustration, we're going to focus on the prophets. Pick it up at verse 10. So as an example of suffering and patience, in other words, these guys we're about to talk about, they went through suffering and patience. As an example of that, take the prophets. And they spoke in the name of the Lord. So these people were spokesmen of the Lord. Behold, you and I, we now look at them and we consider them blessed. Why? Because they remained steadfast. They kept getting up. Point number two this morning is simply this. Faithful Christians... They seek opportunities to witness like the prophets. You know, if you think about the prophets, just think about them for a second. And other, really just other key people in the Old Testament. Let's not just limit it to the prophets for a second. Think about the big name characters of the Old Testament who are spokesmen of God. Many of the times, they preached for years in the midst of nothing but persecution and opposition before any of their prophecies came true. I mean, just think about one of the big names of the Old Testament. Take Noah, for instance. What did Noah do? He talked for 120 years about a worldwide flood. And that may not sound crazy in our day. I think it still kind of does. But he went around talking about it for 120 years. And catch this, there had not been one raindrop that had fallen on the earth at that time. And yet here he is walking through, the, walking through everywhere just talking about a worldwide flood. They probably thought it was nuts. Right? Think about Joseph for a second. Think of the persecution that he faced. 
God had destined him to save Israel and rule Egypt. However, before any of that came to fruition, think about everything he went through. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused. He was imprisoned for two decades. Things did not go well for Joseph at first, did they? Or how about the prophet Isaiah? You know Isaiah, book of Isaiah? This was the man who wrote the beautiful words of Isaiah 53 about a suffering and victorious Savior named Jesus Christ. He wrote about the one who would be wounded by our, or for our transgressions and by whose stripes we would be healed. But have you ever known how Isaiah's life actually ends? You know how it ended? It didn't end in a big book signing tour. Instead, Jewish history tells us that Isaiah's life ended with a rebellious, unbelieving king putting him inside a hollowed out log and they cut it in half. He was sawed in two for his work for the Lord. Or how about Ezekiel? You remember that what God told Ezekiel to do? This is kind of almost comical when you think about it. God told him to lie down on his side in public for 390 days. Imagine what the sermon series did with that. I mean, what, what does the creative team do with that kind of sermon series? Like 390 days, they ask him to lay down on his side each day symbolizing a year of God's discipline on the people. Church, are you tracking with me here? You see in the common thing, all these people endured long stretches of suffering. They endured macrothumia. But ultimately, what happened in the end? Do you know what happened? All of their words came true, didn't they? Every one of their words came true. And today, you know what James calls them? Look at verse 11. He says, we consider them now blessed. Hmm. Now, with that in mind, let me ask you this. If you'd been living at the same time as these guys, you think you would have looked at them and said, man, there's a blessed individual. Like, think about it. You think you would have looked at Isaiah sitting in that hollowed out log and said, he's blessed. You think you would have looked at Ezekiel laying down on his side in public and said, there's a blessed man. Probably not. You see, it's only now that we consider them blessed. Church, they had to wait. You see that? They had to wait. They had to be patient. They had to remain steadfast. They refused to give up, and they had to remain faithful to the Lord and what he called them to. And so the big question we have to ask in light of the prophets is, how about you? Right? How about me? What is the Lord right now asking you to do for him? What is it? Church, once again, as coming back to last week for a second, life is short, isn't it? I mean, it's a mist. And so the reality is we only have a short amount of time to make an impact on this world. And so the question is, what kind of impact are you going to make? What are you going to do? In other words, what's God telling you? What, in light of the harvest season that we're coming upon, this harvest weekend, next weekend, what has God placed in front of you that he has clearly directed you to do? Robert shared one for him this morning. How about you, church? James tells us, you know what he tells us? Go back to chapter 1. He tells us to be doers of the word. Right? Not hearers only, deceiving ourselves, but to actually go and do what it says. And so church, ask yourself the question, what is God asking me to do? And then once he says it, man, let's just be obedient, right? Once he tells you what that is, just be obedient. Let's live our lives on mission. Let's follow him and seek to follow his will for our lives. Now, as you can see, we got three examples that we're working through. Number one, we saw the farmer in the seed. Second, James pointed to the prophets, but then he comes to this third individual, this third illustration. And this person, his long-suffering, his macrothumia was so significant 
that James felt the need. I got to mention this guy by name, all right? And so look at what, look at what he says, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 11. It says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. We all know Job, at least many of us do. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and how the Lord is merciful. Point number three this morning is that as faithful Christians, we've got to remain steadfast. We've got to have the attitude of getting back up over and over and over again, just like Job. Now, in case you're unfamiliar with the story of Job, the Bible says that Job was actually the most righteous and the most blessed man in the entire world. And because of this, the enemy, the evil one, comes to the Lord and he actually says, the only reason, God, that Job blesses you is because you have blessed him. However, if you actually go to Job and you would allow me to take away his blessings, he will no longer bless you. Now, because the Lord knew Job's heart and because the Lord knew of Job's faithfulness, God actually allows Satan to inflict all kinds of pain on him. And so Job goes through body pain, family pain, kid pain, marriage pain, friend pain, every kind of pain you could probably think of, Job's been through it. But here's the deal. Even with all the pain, church, do you know Job never gave up? Never gave up. He remained steadfast all the way through it. He just kept getting back up. And even though at the time Job had no idea how the story would end, he just continued to trust in the Lord. He just continued to remain confident that the Lord was going to redeem his life. Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking in this moment. You're thinking, with everything that happened in Job's life, I mean, body pain, family pain, kid pain, all those kind of pains, all the things that happened in Job's life, where was this compassion, where was this mercy that James is talking about in verse 11? I don't see it. I'm not seeing it in Job's life. Well, here's what I see. I want to write this down. All the things that happened in Job's life, you know what they did? They led him to a deeper understanding of who God was. Do you know that? It led him to a deeper understanding. So listen, it doesn't matter whether God blesses you or whether God breaks you. The greatest thing that God can do in your life is draw you closer to him. Amen? That is the greatest thing he can do. So that's what James is talking about in verse 11. You see, your life right now, it might be really, really tough. As Robert said a moment ago, it might be so tough right now. And if it is, you've got to remind yourself that the Lord is always in control. Right? The Lord is always good. And so you might be walking through some difficult circumstances right now, and you literally might be sitting there at night crying out, Lord, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing in my life right now? I don't understand, but when you get into these moments, when you get into these seasons of your life, what you got to do is remind yourself of what he's already done, you see? You got to look back and say, what has Jesus already done? And here's what he's done. God has demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Romans says, Christ died for us. And so what James says is, be, be patient. Don't focus on your current circumstances. Don't get caught up in the here and now. Instead, be patient. He says God is full of compassion. He's full of mercy. He's full of love. His character does not change. And one day, when we finally reach eternity, listen to me, when we finally reach eternity one day, we're going to receive back from the Lord far more than we ever lost on this earth. Amen? The blessings that are to come are immaculate, church. It's going to be incredible. And so be patient, James says. Be patient coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, 
as we wrap up this morning, as we close up our time, let me ask you this, really practical, get really practical. When in life are you typically required to display patience? Think about that. In your life, just in your everyday world, when you go through life, when are you required to display patience? I thought of three times. Maybe you could think of more. Sure, there are more. But three things that I thought of, number one, I got to display patience when circumstances just seem to be out of control. Uncontrollable. There's nothing I can do about a circumstance. I got to practice patience or I got to practice steadfastness in that time. Or maybe when a person is unchangeable, I got a boss and there's nothing I could do to change his mind or opinion. I got to practice patience. I got to practice steadfastness. Or maybe when problems just seem unexplainable, when they seem unexplainable. Church, do you recognize any of these in your life right now? Any of those just jump off the page like, mm, that's me. Maybe you recognize one, maybe two, maybe all three. But you know what James would look back at you and say this morning? You know what God would look back at you and say this morning? He would say, look at this, be patient, <laughs> right? Be patient. Be faithful to where God has you right now, endure the long suffering. Endure that macro through me, all right? Church, work while you're waiting. Pray while you're waiting. And ultimately, we want to grow while we're waiting. We want to never give up, keep waiting, keep praying. And ultimately, we want to trust that the Lord is in control. Let's pray as we close this morning. Lord Jesus, we do thank you this morning for your word to us. And Father, I recognize that in a room this size, we're all walking through all different seasons of life. And so, Father, I pray that if there's anybody in here who's going through a difficult time right now, facing things maybe not exactly like the prophets or not exactly like Job, but it's still hard. We know it's hard. Father, give them patience. Give them steadfastness, Lord. Help them to keep getting back up and to never quit, to continue to trust in you, remembering what you've done. Lord, they may be crying out right now asking, Lord, what is going on? But help them not to doubt that you are still good. Lord, that you still love them. And Lord, continue to remind them to look back at the faithfulness that you provided in their life for many, many years in the past. Remind them of what Jesus' work was on the cross 2,000 years ago and how he died for every single one of us. Father, this morning we pray and we ask that you give us the ability to think with eternity in our minds. Father, just to focus on what is to come. Help us to practice patience. Father, in a minute, we're going to sing a song. And the song is titled Waymaker. And Father, I love this song because in the middle of the song, it's going to say, even when I can't see it, Lord, you're working. Father, even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop, Lord. You never stop working. And so, Father, as we worship right now, as we go into this final song, Father, I pray that we would lift up our hands, lift up our eyes, see above the horizon, and look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, knowing that you are always going to be working on our behalf for the good of your people. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and would you sing?